Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. I am so excited about this morning sharing God's Word with you. Uh, you know, a lot of times, I don't know here in Alabama, but up in Tennessee, we have people we call know-it-alls. Uh, I don't know, and I'll explain to you. There was a man that owned a factory. He owned a company, 300 employees. And he was a type A personality. He always knew it all. And he always jumped to the conclusion. And when he walked in the business, everybody hopped to it. No one stood around. And he opened the door one day and walked in and everybody's bouncing off the walls working. But one young guy, 20-year-old guy sitting in the corner, he's texting. And the boss looked at him and he went like that and kept texting. The boss looked at the foreman and said, just a minute. Walked over to the young man. He said, how much do you make a week? Young guy said, on a good week, I make 400 bucks. The owner of the company reached in his pocket, pulled out 12 $100 beers, bills. He said, here's three weeks severance, get out. The guy walked out, the owner walked back over to the foreman. He said, who hired that guy? The foreman said, nobody. That's the pizza delivery boy waiting on a tip. <laughs> Know-it-alls don't always know it all. And sometimes it can cost you by just responding without thinking. This story is a true story. That one I made up. But in the late 1950s in Europe, there was a circus that traveled throughout the country. And in that circus, they had a little bear cub from a cub and put it in a cage six foot by 12 foot. The bear lived in that cage its entire life. And the bear learned to rhythmically go 12 spaces to the right and then 12 to the left. That was his whole day, it was his night. They would throw trash and garbage and feed the bear. One man said it was someone threw hamburger meat laced with glass just to watch the bear cut its gums. It was abused. After many years, a man bought that bear from the circus that traveled. He took the bear to the Heidelberg Zoo the Heidelberg Zoo was a zoo that was plush and green with berries and trees and vegetables. Everything that a bear would want to eat. Everything it would be heaven for a bear. Back the gate up, opened the gates from the trailer. The bear looked to his right, looked to his left, dropped his head, 12 to the left, 12 to the right. They chied, they prodded, they laid food outside, they pushed, and finally got the bear to exit out of the cage and close the gate and left. The bear looked around. He saw all of this plush, everything that he could want. But he dropped his head and 12 paces to the left and 12 to the right. After two weeks, the bear would not move from that spot, nor would it feed itself. And they euthanized the bear. The bear was free from a metal cage, but he was still in a mental cage. I have come by today to tell you that Jesus Christ has set you free from every bondage in your life. He doesn't want us just only free from the metal, but he wants us free from the mental and live the life that God has called you. Life consists of basically two things, events and decisions. Events are things that take place in our life, being born, childhood, adolescence, uh, intermediate school, then high school, graduation, college, marriage, military. Those are events in our life that take place. Decisions are what we do, how we do it, and when we do it. We make decisions. You decided to be here today. You decided to participate in the tithe and offering. You decided to be a volunteer in this church. Those are decisions that create events. 
All of us as individuals try to control the events in our life. We try to become proactive instead of reactive. We don't want an event to control us. We want a decision to control the event. But even on our best day, we can't control all the events in our life because we're attached to people through marriage, through children, through relationship, through employment. And those people we're attached to will make a decision sometimes that alters our life and puts us in a precarious situation. But we try to control those decisions. I believe that God has given us the ability to make wise choices. That's what I want to talk about for just a few minutes this morning. Choices in your life that will determine your future. I want to go to Genesis chapter 2 verse 16. The first words God spoke to creation, not not the creation of the earth and man and woman, but the first words he spoke to Adam after he created Adam. In the NIV, the first three words he said to Adam in Genesis 2.16, you are free. I want you to get this. You are free. You're free to eat of any tree in the garden except the one that is forbidden. The first thing that God wanted his creation to understand, they are free. And I have preached in a lot of places, and I've run into a lot of Christians that still live in bondage. Jesus Christ wants you free. He wants you free in your marriage, free in your relationship, free in this church, free in your community. He said to Adam, you are free. Think of the power of that statement. What if we realized that today and we said we're totally free to make any decision we want to make, totally free to go in any direction we want to go. Understanding this, God has a divine plan for your life. God has a divine purpose for your life. And God has laid out a divine destiny for you to reach someday. But God said the decision is yours. You're free to make any decision. You can go on the path you're on. You can travel the road you want to travel. Or you can go on the plan that God has. I want you to get something in your mind. Your decisions will determine your destiny. Your decisions will determine your destiny. And a lot of times the decisions you make are a reflection of your character. I want you to stay with me on this. Our choices today will determine our destiny for tomorrow. I am where I'm at today because of decisions I made a long time ago. And those decisions some of you today are living out decisions and choices you made a long time ago. You're in a situation today because of something you decided or someone else decided. Many years ago when I first got saved, I was full of the fire of God and I preached just hot and fire and running and sweating. And I know you probably enjoy it better if I was like that today, but I went from a microwave to a crock pot. Microwaves heat up at 900 degrees Fahrenheit within 10 seconds. It takes 24 hours with a crock pot, but I do get it done. When we leave here today, it'll be done all the way through. Praise God. But I was offered a church. I hadn't been saved a few weeks and I was offered a church because I was fiery. My pastor told me, don't take that church. It will ruin your ministry. You're not ready. You're too immature. And I turned it down. So God speaks to us 
and shows us what to do in our life. I was, when I came home from Vietnam, I'd served in the infantry. I got radically saved. I'd been drinking a lot and in a lot of bad things, radically saved. I wanted to go to work for God. I wanted to serve God. I couldn't find a place to work for God. So I went back to go back in the military. I'd been a drill sergeant in the army. Uh, I'd been around a lot. So I went and said, I'm going to join the Air Force instead of the army. Air Force eats better than the army. They live better than the army. So I said, I want to go back in there and have a little better life. I went up to the recruiter. I said, I'm a prime guy. This is still in Vietnam. I said, I'm prior service. I'm, I'm a drill. I was a drill sergeant. I came out, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I said, I'd like to join army. I mean, Air Force. He said, why? I said, because I want to do ministry. And he stopped and looked at me and he said, I've been called into the ministry. And 20 years ago, I went in the Air Force and he said, I've never done ministry now. And he said, if you'll go home and pray two weeks and come back and tell me God wants you in the Air Force, I will take you in the Air Force. I went home and prayed two weeks and I never went back. God's choices, God's decisions you make will have an impact on your life and it will guide you the rest of the days of your life. So be assured today where you're at, you can turn some things around. You can turn the decisions of yesterday. I've made some bad decisions since I've become a Christian. I have sinned willfully since I accepted Jesus Christ. I've been baptized four or five times in water, probably needed again. Uh, when we got married, we were baptized as a couple. So I've not got all of it right, but I've learned one thing. When I make a bad decision, even though I may have sown some seeds that are bad, I don't have to reap that harvest if I will dig that up and give it to Jesus Christ, get it under the blood and start making good decisions. I will not reap that harvest because God is the source of my hope. He is the source of my future. And the good news is I'm not trapped in my circumstances. You're not trapped in yours today. We can change. Life can change because we're free to choose what we're going to do. You're free today. Let the power of God's word sink in. You're free to make decisions. You don't have to live depressed any longer. You don't have to live trapped. You don't have to be hopeless. You don't have to be in a bind. You can change things. I'm not talking about leaving your spouse. I'm not talking about a teenager running away from home or quitting a solid good job. I'm talking about when you're in this moral and this mental cage that we live in and we get bound and we fail morally. I serve on a committee, reinstated ministers, and we, one man said, these men have had moral failures. I looked at the room and I shocked them. I said, everyone around this table is a moral failure. No one is righteous in their self. We're all saved by grace and trophies of God's grace. Let me tell you, the moral prison you're in, the mental prison you're in, I came by today to tell you, you're going to be free before we walk out that door today. You're going to live the life God has for you. You're going to be all that God has called you to be. He's going to change your life today through the power and the grace of God. I'm going to walk down and grab a water real quick that's open there. I apologize. I've... I don't usually do this. I, I'm sorry it's rude, but I, I have to. I can tell where I'm going. Well, they've super glued this one on. <laughs> when we accept the fact that we are free, that we're liberated, you start dreaming then instead of living in despair. And boy, there's a difference. I could walk through here and I'm sure families are in some despair today and maybe for a reason. But I'm going to tell you, you're going to be a dreamer today. You're going to change. You're not going to live in despair anymore. You're going to see there's a dream, there's something coming. I want to give you three little quick things here. Number one, 
When God says you're free, that freedom requires responsibility. I want you to mark this in your mind. Freedom requires responsibility. Once you exercise your freedom in Christ and you take your freedom, how do I know you're free? Jesus said this, John 8, 32, you shall know the truth, not a truth, but the truth and the truth shall make you free. I am the truth and the life. So he is the truth. My word is truth and it will set them free through the truth, which is God's word, which he is the Logos. So freedom, you have responsibility. Adam, you're free to choose to eat of any tree. But when you make a choice, there is responsibility for your decision. God does not exempt you from that. Adam was responsible. He made a decision that cost him and cost us down through the years. The second thing I want you to write down, responsibility, when you take it, also equals empowerment. God empowers you. When I say I am responsible for my decision, we live in a society today that a lot of people want to do things and not take responsibility. They want to cast the blame. There is, when we take responsibility, God empowers us. He gives us an empowerment. Empowerment does this. It helps you with your self-esteem. Someone said, that's bad. No, it's not wrong to have self-esteem, to think that who you are in Christ. Self-esteem is self-respect, how you respect yourself. There's two things that will cause self-esteem. If you don't have it, let me give you two things. Number one is your achievements. Whatever you achieve in life, those accolades you say, I have this degree, I've done this, I've done this, I've accomplished this. That, that makes you be able to feel good about yourself. And then the other side is something you've done nothing for yourself. It's all that what God has done for you. When I came to Christ, I had no list A. I didn't have any accolades. I didn't have anything I'd done, nothing I had achieved. I couldn't bring anything to Christ at 24 years of age. And when I came to Christ and I realized I become the righteousness of God in Christ, I became a new creation. I realized then that I was bought with a price and therefore I was the glorified God in my body and my spirit. I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I have access into the holiest of holies. And I begin to see that, then that lifted up who I was. I begin to value myself. Why? Because he purchased me with his blood. I begin to care about myself. I begin to care how I conducted myself and the decisions I made. I grew up thinking I was nothing and was never going to be anything. Anything. But when I met Jesus, it's not list A that made me something. It's list B when he changed me. All about him. If we glory, we will glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. You may not have any degrees. You may not have any certificates on your walls. You may not have any accolades. There's not a big resume to read about you. But if you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, you are a child of the king. You are filled with the spirit. Your name is written in heaven. You're going to heaven to spend eternity with him. You are somebody. Don't walk around bent over like it and call it humility, that's poor posture. Square your shoulders, hold your head high, and walk among, I don't care who you're among. I was with the governor of Tennessee a few weeks ago in a meeting with 10 spiritual leaders in, in Tennessee. I was in the governor's mansion, his home with him. I've been with people, I've been with congressmen and senators. I don't walk in there thinking, I'm just a child of God, I'm nothing. I walk in and say, I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I have every right to be here with you. I have every right to walk with you. I'm not special in myself, but I'm special because of what he done for me and I will not be a doormat for the devil or a punching bag for the imps of hell I am a child of God I'm going to live like it I'm going to act like it praise God give him praise in this house hallelujah third freedom plus responsibility 
equals accountability. We are accountable in our decisions. We're accountable to God. We're accountable to others. You cannot walk through life being selfish, egocentric, self-centered, and hurt people and step on people without some accountability. You have a pastor's, I want to call them pastors, they're pastors, like my wife and I pastor together, that will hold you accountable. At our church, if you get up and give out a word from God, it better be a word from God. Because there's accountability, because people base their decisions on that. If you do something in the kingdom, you're accountable. You're accountable to spiritual leadership. You're accountable. So God says you're accountable. You say, how, how do I know that? Romans 14 and 12. So then each of us, watch this, will give an account of ourselves to God. We give an account to God for everything we do in our life. You say, well, I'm not sure about that. 1 Corinthians 5 and 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat, the bema of Christ, to receive that thing done in our body, whether good or bad. 1 Corinthians 3, I think it is, it said, Paul said, I am a master builder. 3 and 10, I'm a master builder. And I've laid a foundation and other men not, cannot lay. And they build upon this foundation. But they build wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stone. But these works shall be tried as by fire, and some will be consumed, but they themselves shall be saved. So our works will be tried. You say, well, we'll be tried for our adultery, you mean, or fornication, or uh, where, where we lied. No, that's got to be under the blood. You don't go to heaven with that. That's under the blood. That's that redemption. These are the works of believer. I'm here today. Why did I drive to Alabama? Why did I come down? What's my motive? What am I doing preaching here? God will judge all of that someday, and that will determine my rewards, my work in the church, my serving in the kingdom of God. So I'm accountable to God but because uh, Luke 12, 48 says, for everyone who has been given much, and much is required or demanded of them. So I have this accountability. I have not only accountability to God, but I have accountability today to your pastor to come here to be prepared to preach the word. Why? Because there's responsibility when I said I will come and he invited me, I have the responsibility. When you say, Pastor, I will serve in this church, you are accountable to serve in this church. I'm going to show you in a few moments, you're not serving your pastor, you're not serving Summerton Church of God, you're serving God, and you're accountable in the end to God. Will you give God praise that he honors us and lets us do that? Yes. When Moses was talking to the people, Deuteronomy chapter 28, the chapter of blessing and cursing, he will talk to the people in, the, in the Deuteronomy 28 and 2. He will say, all, not some, not temporary, not a few, but all of these blessings will come upon you and will accompany you. I want you to get the verse. He says, if you, these blessings are going to come upon you and they will accompany you. They will travel with you. Blessings of God are not stationary. In, in, in less than 30 minutes or 20 minutes, this place will probably be empty. I'll be through in another, another 10 or so. So it'll be empty. And you can't walk back in here and try to get the blessings of God. They're not in here. This is simply a building. The blessings of God are transit. They go with you where you go. They're with you. They're not stationary. I, we, we met in a school for four years. And when we left there, I had a couple went back down to school and sat in the parking lot on Sunday. 
I said, we're up here having church in a new building we bought. They said, yeah, but we missed that old school. Snoopy painted on the wall in the gymnasium. I thought, you're crazy. That school has nothing. You might have got saved there. You might have got delivered there. But God's transit, his blessings move with you. They don't stay in one building. Someday, sad as it'll be, as beautiful as this is, someday this will be torn down and a new building will be built here or something because things change. But the blessings of God will not be torn down. They will never leave and they'll never stop. And Moses... Yes, and Moses said, these will come upon you. They will go with you. They will travel with you if you obey the Lord your God. I want you to notice the connection between obedience and accountability equals blessings. You say, Pastor, I want to be blessed. You want to be blessed? Obedience with accountability equals blessing. You obey, trust and obey. I was with Dr. Cho many years ago in a seminar. And Dr. Cho said, what I've learned in ministry is pray and obey. I said, I'm going to adapt that philosophy for the rest of my life, praying and obeying. His name was Victor Frankel. Maybe you've heard of him. He was a Jewish physician. He was in the concentration camps, in the Nazi concentration camps. And he said that you can take everything from a human. You can take every trait, everything they have. But the only thing you cannot remove from them is their choice of their attitude. You can't remove that. They can keep their attitude. And because he kept the positive attitude, he survived the concentration camps and many people with him also survived them. I realize this, you can't teach attitude. You can't make someone have the right attitude. You can't make somebody be positive in your home. You can't hire attitude. I can hire talent. I can see people that we can hire and develop their talent. But the one thing I look at in anybody that's gonna work around me is their attitude. Your attitude will affect your altitude. If you have a bad attitude, I've come by today to tell you, God wants to change your attitude. You said, well, this is inherited. Yeah, the Bible says your father is the devil. So you don't have that inherited. Get rid of that attitude. You don't want to, my dad was negative and all those things, but I decided I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to have a positive attitude. I've got things I could be negative about, but I want you to change that today. Max Licata said that if God's a thousand steps from you, he'll take 999 to get to you. But the last step is a step you have to take. It's your choice. If you want to be all that God has called you to be and you want to see the change today, take that step and call out to God. I came home. Let me just give you a quick synopsis. I grew up in a home. I was the only child. My brother died at birth. And uh, my father was in three different penitentiaries, two federal and one state. At 13 years old, I stole three cars. I got caught for the third car and I went to juvenile. Got out of juvenile and got caught next week for shoplifting. Went back to juvenile. I was on parole for three years through high school. My assistant principal, Bob Matthews, uh, didn't know who I was, but he saw him take me to high school in the 10th grade with handcuffs on for grand larceny. And my dad was in prison. My uncles couldn't come and help me. And I'm at juvenile sitting, getting ready to go to trial. And the judge is going to sentence me back to juvenile. And here's this big old barrel chest guy. Bob Matthews stands up and says, if you'll put him on parole to me, I'll watch him for three years and make sure he graduates from high school. And the judge put me on parole. He didn't know me from Adam, but he wanted to help me. A couple of months later, I got sent to the office in Bible class. We were holding Jerry out the window with his heels, me and another boy. And they called us and sent me to the office. This is a God's truth, and you'll think I'm exaggerated. I went in, and Mr. Matthews was there on the phone, and he went. I walked in, he went. I turned around, he opened a drawer and pulled out a paddle about this long with hose drilled in it. He went. Hit me three times, hard as he could. Put the paddle back up, wrote a note, please admit Gerald back to class. Went. 
and never, we never spoke a word. What he did, he took the Board of Education and dissed it off my Southern Hemisphere and sent me back to class. And because of Bob Matthews, I finally graduated from high school. God's got angels out there, and you may be one of those that'll stand in the gap for somebody, and you may have to dust off their Southern Hemisphere every now and then, but it pays off down the road if you'll just let God use you and touch your life. Praise God. Yeah. That's, that's the God's truth. And uh, later on, I, life got worse. I went in the Army, went to Vietnam, uh, got a, a couple of medals for valor, or a medal for valor and other medals for fighting in combat. So many bodies counts. Came home, started drinking real, real heavy. Uh, was drinking a, probably a six-pack every night, lived out by myself. Get a fifth of whiskey, started on Friday night, drink it through the weekend with beer. And just really wild, on Christmas morning, me and two other friends, Bob and Ace, we at a nightclub and got in a fight at 5.30 in the morning, Christmas morning. The bartender or one of the guys there shot Bob in the stomach with a 38 and was going to kill me and his brother. And I talked him out of it. Went my way through that. Later on, I'm at a bootleggers and got in another fight and I grabbed a guy by the collar. I wasn't tough. I was a wannabe guy. I'd went from 147 pounds when I came home from Vietnam to 202 working out. So it went to my head. That got me killed. Uh, I wasn't Dwayne Johnson, the rock. I was more like Pee Wee Herman. A mushroom. Uh, and I was at a bootleggers and grabbed a guy by the neck and tried to pull him out. And somebody handed him a gun. He laid it by my head. And I took off running. Somebody shot two holes in the back of my 396 Chevelle. And I was laying in the alley. I thought, I'm going to die here like this. And I survived Vietnam. And I'm going to die in some alley. But it didn't happen. I lived. And, and God permitted me to live. And a boy I worked with, a sheet metal worker, invited me to church every Sunday. Listen, the power of inviting someone to church is powerful. This church could not seat the people in one year from the day if everybody said, I'm going to bring two people into the kingdom in one year. That boy started witnessing. Yeah, you can do it. That Larry Dye started witnessing me. I would go in sometimes drinking on the job, couldn't even climb a ladder. And he would witness to me, tell me about the love of God, prayed for me every night, every Thursday night in a prayer meeting, lifted my name up to God, invited me to revival. And finally, I went into a revival and said, as far as I could at the back, when the oppressor gave the altar call, I ran to the altar and I was gloriously saved. Six nights later, filled with the Holy Spirit, called into the ministry a little bit later. I made one choice to go to church. And that choice led to another choice and another. I'm telling you today, God changes lives. God will take all those steps except one, but you have to make a decision. And I want to I close with some points right here real quickly as I close. God gives you this freedom and he gives you this responsibility and makes you accountable. We have to quit being victims and become victorious. Now, I don't want you to think something wrong here. I know there's legitimate victims. I've worked with the FBI over 20 years. I've worked in the, in the sheriff's department. I've been on crime scenes. I've been with suicides, homicides, domestics, mass fatalities. I've, I've seen all I want to see of that. And I've seen victims of abuse. I've seen victims of, of racism. I've seen victims that have just been treated horrible. I've watched it through the years and watched it over and over and over. So there, you, you may be a real true victim. But there comes a day that you're accountable of the decisions you're going to make. Maybe you didn't do anything to deserve what happened, but you do now are accountable for the decision you make today. You can blame life and say, I'm, I'm just going to live life like this, or you can say, I'm going to make a good decision. As a young boy, 
Me and my mother, while my dad was in prison, me and my mother, when I was 19 years old, we had moved 20 times. 20 times. Some was with aunts and uncles, the same one, moving back and forth. But I'd moved 20 times. I grew up with the two front teeth knocked out at the boys' club. I had two silver caps on them. I had an eye was always closed. And when you look like that, you're a little skinny boy, either you learn to run home from school or fight. And I couldn't do either one. <laughs> so I got caught and beat up a lot. I could have threw in the towel and said, there's no hope for me. There's no future for me. There's no tomorrow for me. I could have become a victim. I could have been sitting, sucking a bottle somewhere today or been dead or been in prison. But I decided when I met him Amen. that I had a life and I was somebody. God had a plan for my life. He changed my life. He wanted me to be somebody. He said, I got a future and a hope for you. And he said, I'm going to send my word and it will not return void, but it will accomplish what I please wherein I send it. And I'm going to finish a work in you. And I have begun a good work in you. I didn't know where it would lead. I didn't know what it would be, but God did it. And I've come by to tell you today that the victim will say, I can't do it. But the victor will say, I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. The victim will say, it's not my fault. But the victor will say we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive that thing done in our body. The victim will say we never did it like that before. But the victor will say trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and hate evil. The victim will say I'm living in fear. I'm afraid to do anything. The victor will say God did not give me a spirit of timidity or of of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind the victim says I see problems everywhere I go the victor will say I see opportunities behind every door and I believe God's going to help me the victim will strike back and he will be angry and full of bitterness but the victor will turn his cheek and say I'm going to love you no matter what you do you're not going to make me bitter you're not going to make me cynical the victim will have resentment and, and have this old stuff in him and always have full of anger and full of rage but the victor will say I'm forgiving you as Christ forgave me, whether you ask for it, deserve it, or you want it. You've got it because I'm not going to be a prisoner to you. The victim will give up and say, I can't make it. But the victor will say, I'm pressing towards the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus, and I'm not giving up. The victim will say, this is why it can't be done. But the victor will say, whatever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Therefore, with everything that you pray in prayer, believing you'll have it. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. The victor says, here's the reason I can't do this, Pastor. This is the reason. But the victor says in everything, set an example because God is watching. The victor says with man, this, the victim will say with man, this is impossible. But the victor will say all things are possible through God. The victim will say the odds are against me. But the victor will say if God be for us, who can be against us? See, get the right attitude. Get your mindset. Get set straight and begin to think, this is what I'm going to do. We need an attitude change, and we need to focus on God. I was going to read a little sheet to you by Charles Swindoll about attitude, but I'm not going to read that. I'm going to close with this. I said that once, didn't I? Lied the first time. This is the truth this time. Twelve paces to the left and twelve to the right. Twelve to the left, twelve to the right. I could have said, my dad was in three prisons. I'm destined for prison. I could have said, I'm a, a black sheep of the family, and I was. I could have said, I'm a loser. Not, not strong academically. But I'm going to tell you what God will do for you. The Lord's helped me earn two master's degrees and working on a PhD. It's not a strong PhD, but at least it's a degree. And I thought, 
I was so dumb, my high school English teacher told me, said, some people are made to go to college and some are not. Encouraged me not even try. I don't care what's been spoken into your life. When God says it, it's true. Let every man be a liar and let God be true. You may be failed in relationships and nothing's worked out. I'm telling you, there's a relationship for you that God has and he's going to make it work out. My last little is a true story. His name was Bill Mark. I didn't meet Bill Mark in Vietnam, but he was there about the time I was. He was a captain in a recon unit. And Bill would go over into Laos and Cambodia and do recon. And he was going over for a recon mission. A lieutenant colonel was sending him over. And he had with him a Vietnamese translator. And the colonel said, here's a young boy, 19 years old. said, I want you to take him with you into Laos. Let him be the radio telephone operator, the RTO. And Bill said, no, I'm not taking him. He's too green. Meaning he's new in country. I don't want him. Colonel said, no, I know his family. I want you to train him. You'll, you'll give him some good experience. So Bill let him put the radio on, and Bill got nose to nose with him. Now, when you're a captain looking at a private, it scares a private to death, and he's screaming at this private. If I say, shut up, shut up. If I say, sit down, sit down. If I say, lay down, lay down. You got it. You don't think anymore. I control you. You do what I say. And the private's trimmer said, I'll do it. They got on a Huey. They flew over, got off the Huey. They walked in about a click, a thousand meters. They went into Cambodia or one of those countries. And they're walking in a little 30, cooled, 30 uh, caliber water-cooled machine gun. And they all hit the ground. Bill's laying up front. The RTO's behind him. The translator's back there. And Bill said, hand me the handset. And Bill calls in a smoke round from the artillery. And a smoke round will always hit in the wrong place. And then you adjust it and call it HE, high explosive next, to blow up the guy shooting at you. And while he's talking on the headset, he felt the cord pull real tight. And he looked, and this 19-year-old was standing up. Now, I've seen that happen. This 19-year-old standing up. And so the guy with the machine gun was, whoop, and gave him what's called a zipper. Five or six rounds up there, and the boy fell. And Bill looked at the translator and said, what happened? The translator said, he stood up. So Bill called in the high explosive, blew up the machine gun, took this 19-year-old and put it on his shoulders, walked a click, about 10 football fields, carried him back and put him on a Huey helicopter, what we called a dust-off, and sent him back. Go with me 20 years later. Bill's in the United States now, and Bill's went on to college, and he is a psychologist with the Veterans Affairs. He deals with the worst case of veterans there are. But he's got an 18-year-old son. Bill walked over to his son. And he said, son, for 18 years, I've been nose to nose with you, screaming, shut up. You don't think. If I tell you to sit down, sit down. If I tell you to sit, lay down, you lay down. And he said, I just realized the day. I'm not screaming at you. I'm still screaming at a little boy over in Laos that I carried out of the jungle. And I've taken it out on you all of your life. Hear me. When you get scarred bad enough, you scar others. So I want you today, you shall know the truth, the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You say, well, what about all the harm I've done? God's a God of mercy and grace. He can reverse it. I had a daddy that loved me, but he didn't know how to be a daddy. He loved me. I loved him, but he didn't know how to be a father, and that was going to be in the next generation to me, but God broke it. I want to pray a simple prayer over you today. I want you to stand with me. I don't know how you do it here, but since I won't probably get to come back, I'm going to just do it the way I want to, okay? I want those that say something you've said somewhere in this message has resonated with me.
and I want you to just pray a prayer over me before I go. We're going to pray one prayer. We'll be out of here in three minutes. I want you to make a step to come forward. This is a choice. Something you've said has resonated, and I want to make a choice this morning. It may just be to help someone that you know is in this situation. Maybe someone that's lost, or, or maybe something you need to change in your life. Would you come quickly? I'm not going to beg you. I want you to come because God's got a plan and a purpose for you. Some of you have been through a lot. You've been through a living hell, the life you had. Your testimony is similar to mine. Some of you could write a book on sorrow and pain. I'm just going to pray a prayer and we're going home. No big deal. Anyone else? But God's the big deal. He's going to make a change. Anyone else? I don't want to be a Bill Mark. I don't want to scar everybody around me because I couldn't work through something in my life. Praise God. Don't you feel the sweet presence of the Lord? All of us have made mistakes. All of us have got it wrong and done it wrong. But we've got a God that forgives and restores. Glory to God. Heavenly Father, diverse people, diverse needs. And Lord, but you know every heart and every mind. I don't have to name and go through the list. I'm asking you today that we release the past. If we have sown any seeds that would bring back a bad harvest today, we pray, dig those up. I pray if they die on the vine, I don't want to reap that harvest. I pray that everyone here, those that are right now in the middle of a bad harvest, I, I come against that. I pray that it dies up on the vine. They don't reap anymore. They reap a good harvest. Lord, if they will reap where they've sown, where they have not sown, and what they do not deserve, we can reap. God, you've opened up fields for us. Give them a great harvest. Bless their children, their grandchildren. Bless their husbands, their wives. Bless their relatives. Bless their lives abundantly. Today, I pray, pray over you. I pray for freedom in your life. You are free. You're free to become what God has called you to be. You're free to be the person God wants you to be. You're free to reach the destiny that God has for you. Your future begins now. This is a new day. This is a new time. I believe, God, you sent me to something Alabama to bring this message today. I believe you gave me this word for them today. And I believe today when they turn and do a 180 and walk out these doors, it will be leaving the things that are behind and pressing forth to the things which are before. We will not take any trash with us. We will not carry anything with us. We'll leave the luggage here. It's gone. We're laying it down. We will not have it a part of our life again. We're going to live in the fullness of your spirit. I prophesy over this congregation and these standing here, you are free in Jesus' name. Free to be all God has called you to be. I bless you with the word of God. I speak life, healing, and health into you. I speak freedom into you. I bind every demonic power. I bind every thought. I take it in captivity and we bring it down and we pull it down subject to the word of God. Your thoughts will be pleasant thoughts, good thoughts, pure thoughts, just thoughts. No longer will the enemy control your mind. You are free in Jesus' name. Free in Jesus' name to the glory of God. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.